Welcome to Mental Toughness with Dr. Rob Bell. Each week, Dr. Rob sits down with athletes, executives, and expert coaches to talk about mental toughness and their hinge moment. Here's your host, Dr. Rob. I would still have the opportunity to go to the golf course, but I still would be able to see my family. I thought that if I worked a third shift job at Lowe's, you know, I would, what, I'd see them for an hour before they go to bed because I'd be sleeping all day. So fortunately I did the interview at Publix, got it straight away, kind of told them my situation. And they said that, look, we'll give you a job opening every day. They never made me do the night shifts ever, even though I was supposed to. So I would get up every day at 3 a.m because you need more than half an hour uh, when you're getting up at that hour. At least I did. I wasn't used to getting up at 3 a.m. And I was at work every day, you know, 3.55. And I was working every day at 4 a.m. until my eight hours was up. If I took an hour lunch break, I was done at 1 p.m. If I didn't take a one hour lunch break, I was done at noon. Mm -hmm. So I would just work until my shift was over. And at first, Doc, I would try to I was, I was like really gung ho. I was like, this is not going to prevent me from practicing. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to be ready. So I would literally go home at noon or 1230, depending on if I took the lunch break or not. And I would literally have lunch and I'd be out the door at like one o'clock. And I'd go to the golf course from like one o'clock to six o'clock. Folks, when I finished my hundred miler, I was happy to be done, but I wasn't finished. The reason why my legs weren't completely bonked from running was that I used PR lotion by Momentus. It simply eliminated any lactic acid buildup in my legs, and it's the best product I've ever used. Momentus is a leading nutrition and supplement company which works with over 150 professional and collegiate sports teams. No other company has the accolades of being awarded six innovation contracts from the Department of Defense for Human Performance. Since I started using PR Lotion, I now use their plant-based protein, collagen peptides, and recovery formula. Look, if performing is important to you, do yourself a favor. Go to livemomentous.com. And for listening today, you get the best part, a discount. Enter code DRB20 for 20% off your order. That's D-R-B in the number 20. LiveMomentous.com. Optimize, perform, and recover. LiveMomentous.com. So our guest today on the Mental Toughness Podcast is a PJ Tour Pro. Known this golfer for many years. Uh, he's been a pro golfer since 2011. This season on the Corn Ferry Tour, he recorded seven top 10 finishes. His previous season made 14 straight cuts at one point. During the COVID shutdown, our guest made headlines because he was up at 3 a.m. stocking shelves at 4 a.m. for a day of work at, at the Publix before then hitting the links in the afternoon. Played college golf at Austin P and was recently inducted there to the Hall of Fame. Our guest, Eric Barnes, my man. How are you, buddy? Good, Doc. What's going on? You doing all right? Yeah, man. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to do this and uh, and delve into your career and everything that's really transpired the last couple of years. But I want to start with this one, man. So, like, you played the U.S. Open at Brookline this year, which which was fantastic. But walk us through that because you qualified in a playoff, and it was in the dark, right? Oh, it was like yeah, legit in the dark. Um, and my family okay so i'll just start kind of from the beginning so the the sunday before uh was the final round of the corn ferry tour event in raleigh the rex hospital yeah. open and uh i was pretty much already tour bound you know i think we all kind of knew the the point number was a little too high and, um but after a top i don't even know what the finish was top 15 or so in in raleigh uh i officially went tour bound and so that was, you know, a lot of high there, a lot of emotion there. And then literally, as soon as I got done in Raleigh and did the interviews and stuff, I just jumped on a plane and went straight to, flew straight to Atlanta. 
and uh, didn't get in until kind of late. Fortunately, I had like an eight o'clock tea time. It wasn't too early. Um, and then, yeah, uh, played 37 holes that day, uh, played 36 holes. And unfortunately, I bogeyed my last hole of regulation and kind of thought it, it might have cost me. But fortunate enough to get in a two-man playoff for, or a three-man playoff for two spots. And it was legitimately dark, like legitimately dark. I mean, you couldn't see our second shots. Fortunately, I was the only one that could – well, Patton Kazire could have reached but he hit a little too far right off the tee. So um, I had a definite advantage there. I think I had like 275 yards uh, to the back left pin, all carry over water. And uh, it's just a perfect three wood for me. Like I just knew it was like, as long as I hit the three wood solid, it would cover the water. Yeah. Even though it was dark, you know, and I hit this thing and all you knew was that it took off on a great line. And I, I literally told my cat, like, that's gotta be perfect. Like, I don't know where else it could be. Like I flushed it. We got there, you know, 20 feet from the hole. And fortunately enough, a two-putt got me into the U.S. Open. Love it, man. So, I mean, is that, like, do you kind of prefer that to, you know, being – I mean, if you maybe maybe if you had a way today or something like that, right, like it could have um, – and I don't mean just the playoff, but I mean like going from Raleigh, making the tour card, and then just turning around, getting right back to business. I mean, it, it probably seemed that like that was even beneficial, right? Yeah, it could have been for sure. I mean, because I came straight out of tur- tournament mode. Like, you know, I mean, I didn't finish in Raleigh until probably like 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So, mm-hmm. I mean, like what, 18 hours later, I'm, you know, playing the first hole of the U.S. Open sectional qualifying in Atlanta. So, I mean, it was quick turnaround, you know. It, was, it wasn't like it was a full day and a half off, like you said. So, it was kind of nice because I already knew kind of where my game was at and I kind of knew – um, you know, where my miss was now, every day is different, obviously, but, uh, it was, it was, I would say it was kind of beneficial for sure. Yeah. And what, what stands out to you about, uh, this, uh, the U S open this year? Uh, it was an unbelievable U S open. I mean, obviously it was my first one, so I can't completely speak on the U S opens, but from talking to other guys and being there with some of the other players, like I think kind of everybody was in agreement. This is one of the better U S opens I've had in a long time. You know, it's kind of that old school, traditional, U.S. Open field, you know, it wasn't kind of, I would say, like Tory, where, you know, Tory doesn't have a lot of trouble off the tee, except for rough, and when you get it further offline where the fans are, it's trampled, and you can play from those places. You know, Brookline was very much a progressive uh, difficulty rough, you know, it was fairway first cut, you know, three-inch cut, four-inch cut, five-inch cut, Heather, right. you know, stuff like that, so it was beneficial to barely miss the fairway as opposed to hitting it 20 yards off the fairway. Mm-hmm. So, uh, somebody that, that drove it long and straight had definite advantage. Um, but it was just a terrific golf course. I mean, it was very fair, very, very difficult, but if you played well, you could, you weren't going to get like, you weren't going to hit a shot and go, how did that happen? You know, like it was very fair. Yeah. And you dug, <laughs> uh, being first off. Uh, yeah, man, it was nerve wracking though, because I was playing with the local guy. So there was a ton of people standing on that first tee at whatever time it was six forty-five. Yeah, uh, and I was just trying to, you know, hit it forward. You know, I was so nervous, just trying to get it off the tee, just get it somewhere where I can hit it again. You know, so uh, I was very nervous, but it was it was cool. Yeah, that's awesome, man. So you made headlines during COVID, and and I want you to kind of just walk us through this. But I mean, you were up at three a.m. You had to work at four a.m. You were stocking shelves at Publix, and you were on record and you've said this i mean you know you had to basically take care of your family and you've always been a grinder always been working hard but i mean you would you'd work at 4 a.m you get off noon one o'clock pick up golf and and kind of but walk us through walk us through um you know what what that situation was like kind of and where you were in life and everything yeah i mean obviously you know i've told this story a bunch so it's pretty well known but it you know i never tended for this story you can get out you know, it wasn't right. something I was telling people that I was going to work at the golf course, or I mean, going to work at a grocery store, you know, with a college degree. I mean, no offense, but um, with COVID, there was just so much uncertainty, right? Nobody knew what was going on. I don't think anybody knew. And the PGA Tour just said, well, we're suspended indefinitely. Like, right. we don't really know when we're coming back. And, you know, any adult family that's done a budget knows exactly what they spend every single month to survive. And it doesn't take long to figure out if we have X amount of money in the bank, 
and we're spending this much a month after so many months, we got no money. So I didn't know if COVID was going to last two months, two days or two years. And as the, you know, the caretaker essentially of my family, it was my responsibility to provide. My kids still need food. My kids still need whatever, you know, they still want to go to baseball. They still want to play golf, you know? So yeah, I didn't want to get behind the eight ball and wait three or four months and say, Oh, COVID's dwindling down. We'll be playing golf again. And then have it last a year. And all of a sudden I'm broke, you know, and, and, you know, can't pay our bills and all that stuff. So I was just trying to be proactive and make sure, even if it was not as much as I could make enough to where we could survive for a few extra months longer than what we had. So trust me, I didn't want to do it, but right. It just seemed like that's was kind of inevitable. And so when I started looking at jobs, I told my wife, I said, I, I've got to have, it's got to be, it's got to be a third shift job. I gotta be working at night because I have to have time to where I can, you know, practice because I, I can't just not play golf for, for months and then be ready to go when we restart. Right. Um, so I, I did actually, I don't know if I've told this story. I actually did an interview with, with uh, Lowe's and got a job offer straight away. It was a third shift job. It was like a 9 p.m. to 7 a.m. or something like that. And uh, the only other job offer I wanted to see if I could, because I told my wife, I said, if I get a job that goes in real early and gets off midday, then I wouldn't miss my family as much. I would still have the opportunity to go to the golf course, but I still would be able to see my family. I thought that if I worked a third shift job at Lowe's, you know, I would, what I'd see them for an hour before they go to bed because I'd be sleeping all day. So fortunately I did the interview at Publix, got it straight away, kind of told them my situation. And they said that, look, we'll give you a job opening every day. They never made me do the night shifts ever, even though I was supposed to. So I would get up every day at 3 a.m. because you need more than half an hour uh, when you're getting up at that hour, at least I did, I wasn't used to getting up at 3 a.m. And I was at work every day, you know, 3:55, and I was working every day at 4 a.m. until my eight hours was up. If I took an hour lunch break, I was done at 1 p.m. If I didn't take a one hour lunch break, I was done at noon. Mm -hmm. So I would just work until my shift was over. And at first, Doc, I would try to, I was, I was like really gung ho. I was like, this is not going to prevent me from practicing. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to be ready. So I would literally go home at noon or 1230, depending on if I took a lunch break or not. And I would literally have lunch and I'd be out the door at like one o'clock. And I'd go to the golf course from like one o'clock to six o'clock, five o'clock, four hours or something. And I would come home. I'd have dinner with my family at six o'clock. And then I would be trying to be asleep in bed by nine o'clock. So I could at least get six hours of sleep. Right. And that lasted probably a week. And then I was so tired. I you know, I'm used to swinging a golf. I'm golf shape. I'm not in shape of unloading pallets of 32 packs of water. Right. You know, so after a week of doing that, I said, I can't keep this pace up. I'm exhausted. So the rest of the time I started going back, having a quick bite to eat and like falling asleep on the couch until like, you know, two o'clock mm -hmm. and I'd get up and get to the golf course by two or two 30. Unfortunately, we lived right on a golf course. So I literally just got in my golf cart in my garage and took off and I'd be gone from two thirty, three o'clock to six or seven thirty, whenever we could have dinner. And then I'd have dinner and go right to bed. So it was, it was pretty, uh, it was, it was a long process. It felt like it was never going to end, but, um, I kind of got used to it and it wasn't as bad after the first couple weeks. Hey, good looking. If you like this podcast and are already a badass, but it's all way too complicated, then visit our website, drrobbell.com, and schedule a call with us to help capture your very own hinge moment. When it comes to like your time management, right? Because you can show up at the golf course and you, you can do whatever you want you know so i mean did you find that you became even more focused during that time because you had to be very very specific and and maximize your time 
Correct. Yeah. I had a pretty similar routine that I did almost every day. I mean, almost to a T. I mean, I could tell you almost exactly how many wedges I hit from what distances every single day because we had a wedge range at the golf course we lived at, like a whoa, wedge whoa, green. Whoa. Walk us walk us through, brother. What was your routine? Yeah, like? so so I would I would literally bring a shag bag of my golf balls. We had a wedge uh green at the golf course I lived on that that went from went out to about 75 yards. And I would drop like six or eight balls from in five yard increments from 30 all the way back to 75, sometimes 80, depending on where the pin was on the green. And I would literally start at 30 yards. I'd hit one ball from 30 and then I'd walk back to 35. I'd hit one ball from 35. I'd walk back to 40. I hit a ball from 40 all the way up to 75 or 80 yards. I'd hit hit from that location and then I'd stagger my way back down and back up and back down and back up and back down and back up. That way I was never hitting the same wedge shot the same distance twice, right? Because most pros can stand there with a bucket of balls and hit a 50-yarder and figure out how to hit a 50-yarder after hitting a few, you know? So I always wanted to mix it up. So I would go up and back, up and back. And I literally did this every single day for like an hour. Right. I mean, I'd probably right. hit, you know, I'd probably hit 80, 80 wedge shots, but it took me almost an hour because I was literally walking up and back, up and back, up and back. And then I would always go work on putting. And it was a specific drill every day. And that drill generally was all start line based. Um, I knew I wasn't playing any tournaments. So I wasn't like as concerned with like my speed. So it was all basically hitting start lines and making sure that I was still hitting putts on my line. And then, unfortunately, the golf course that I lived on had no driving range. It had an aqua range. So that made it even more difficult because the other golf course I was practicing at in in Bradenton, when we shut down for COVID, I wasn't technically a full member. And they shut down all guests. So they didn't let me come out there all during COVID. So I didn't have a a grass driving range to hit into for, what, four months? So I generally didn't hit any balls. I would, if I did, I would just warmed up and then I would go out on the golf course and do my work. So I would either play nine holes, like, you know, two balls, two ball, worst ball, or I would hit, or I'd go out on a hole and I'd hit five tee shots off one hole, or I'd hit five wedges. The owner of the golf course I lived on was very cool with like kind of giving me, you know, a little bit of a run of the place and, and, uh, to to within reason so um i was able because he didn't have a range he would allow me to hit you know if i wanted to hit eight balls from the fairway just go to the back left corner of the fairway and hit him toward this way or whatever so i got my work in and i was ready to go when the season started fortunately you know i dig that man so i mean you uh i mean being the creatures of habit um the the thought that just kind of pops in my head man is like when you didn't know when that start date was going to be necessarily, what um, what motivation, I guess this part, like what motivation did you have from stock and shelves translated into, I don't want to do this for my life? Right. How did that translate into you grinding and, and still working hard? You know, I, I just say, honestly, it was just, it was an appreciation for what I was doing every day previous to COVID is all it was. And I knew I was playing well when COVID closed up or closed us up. You know, I knew I was playing well. So like it, it was stunk so bad because that year before I finished 77 on the points list. So I missed full status on the corn Ferry tour by two spots. Now, granted, you look at it and go, he's got second best conditional number. He's going to get in everything. Well, it didn't work that way. Mm-hmm. We had a different event in the Bahamas and guys wanted to go to the country of Nassau or the uh, Island of Nassau. So guys were playing Exuma and Abaco, and then nobody skip, really ever skips Panama and Bogota because, you know, those are good tournaments. Uh, I ended up getting into Panama, Bogota, and Mexico. Those are the only three, I think, out of the first eight I got in. And had I had the season kind of kept going, I would have got in before that. But because they closed up shop and we had to, when we restarted for COVID, the first two events were Jacksonville and St. Augustine. One was at Sawgrass and one was at the World Golf Hall of Fame. So everybody wanted to play them. Tournaments I would have got into had we been playing all year. But when we restarted, every single player that was eligible to play was going to play. No one was going to take a week off. We just had four months off. Right. So I didn't get into those either. But fortunately, 
I ended up getting into Salt Lake City and finishing top 15. And I got into Denver and I finished top four, uh, finished third. So that kind of set me up the rest of the year and the next year. But um, I know this is going past your question, but um, I knew I was playing well. So when we shut down for COVID, all that made me do is want to like keep my game where it was. Cause I knew that when I got to restart, I was going to play well. I felt that way. I played well, the, you know, pretty well the end of the year before, I mean, kind of the end of the year, I played terrible at the beginning of the year and that's how I finished 77th. But I knew that once I started getting starts, I was going to play well. And it, I don't need much motivation to be honest. Like I'm kind of self-driven mm-hmm. um, just growing up in a small town in Indiana where, you know, no big college wanted to give me any offers and, you know, no, you know, stuff like that. And, never having the opportunity to play the AJGAs or big junior tournaments or big amateur tournaments. Like I already was kind of a chip on my shoulder guy. Right. You know, so I didn't need much motivation and trust me, there's plenty of times where I was working at 4 a.m. thinking, or at 8 a.m. thinking, yeah, these guys get to be out practicing right now. And I'm here sitting here stocking, you know, cans of beans, you know, so there was motivation for sure. It didn't coming from Publix, you know, knowing that, I knew everybody and their brothers out there trying to get better. And I was stuck doing this. So that motivated, that was enough motivation for me. Sure. I mean, perspective and gratitude are, are huge, man. I mean, I was just wondering, can you elaborate just a little bit more on it? I mean, from being a pro golfer, uh, the amount of dedication and hours, people just don't understand it, but here, then mm-hmm. you have to go through this process knowing where you are in your career, knowing that you're playing well, knowing that other people are practicing. Uh, talk to us, man, about that perspective and gratitude that you got from stocking those shelves. Yeah, I mean, it's very easy for guys to get, like, I don't want to say the word spoiled, but kind of spoiled, right? Like, sure. you see guys on the PGA Tour, you know, like, a lot of the guys have said a lot of things about the PGA Tour right now, with what's going on with the Southern Tour. And if you could take them back 20 years ago, and be like, how great would it be to be on this tour? They would be like, it'd be the greatest thing of my life, right? right. So people forget those kinds of things. And, and I don't think I ever took the Corn Ferry Tour for granted, but it definitely put a whole new perspective on what opportunity I had every single week. Every single week, I had the opportunity to basically gain my PGA Tour card and, and live a dream. Every single week, I had that opportunity. And I don't think I probably appreciated that enough. And I probably didn't appreciate the things about the corn Ferry tour that I should have, you know, because obviously everybody's looking forward, like, Oh, the PGA tour gets this, the PGA tour gets that. Sure. I have to do is look back and go, there's a thousand mini tour players that would love to be complaining about player dining and on the corn Ferry tour or complaining about a $600,000 purse on the corn Ferry tour. You know what I mean? So it, it literally, Stocking those shelves every day, all I did was was gain more appreciation for the game that I got to play for a living that I loved. And it just made me realize how badly I wanted to play the game for a living. Mm -hmm. And really one of the biggest things for me is to be able to show my kids that if you set your mind to a goal, no matter where you're from, no matter what your background is, you you can literally do it, man. Like, nobody really, I mean, I know Jim Gallagher Jr. did it for my hometown, but like, I grew up the Marion Elks, you know, nobody guys don't go to the PGA tour from the Marion Elks. So it's just, I have a greater, a greater, and I also have a great appreciation for what people do for work every single day that don't get to play golf. Right. Because I mean, I've got a really good buddy of mine named Mike that I met working at Publix and he does that every day of his life, five days a week, 40 hours a week, every single day, every single week. And, you know, we're very, very lucky to get to do what we, we get to do. And, and uh, if everybody had to go do what I did at Publix, they'd probably feel the same way. Yeah, absolutely, man. And I think that's why we so much, man. And I always say like mental toughness, it's caught more than it's taught. You know, we, we go through those experiences and again, just perspective and gratitude, man, are, are just so huge. Um you've always sent the ball off the tee irons have always been solid, but, but this season, man, 23rd and scrambling 18th and putting, mm-hmm. which, which I think is remarkable. You know how, how big on the short game I am, but yeah, I mean, talk, talk to us about, um, you know, that part of the game 
for, you know, for you this past season? Yeah. I mean, I kind of went, the biggest thing for me is I'm not going to get into it because it's, you know, how golfers are with their secrets, but I was sure. very lucky that I got to know uh, a certain guy uh, that played the PGA tour a long, long time, a very terrific putter. And he actually spent a lot of time picking his brain about putting and it's really, really helped uh, kind of change my perspective on how I read greens and how I see balls going in the hole to an extent. Like I said, I'm not going to go kind of through too much detail there, but um, that was really beneficial for me. But one of the biggest things for me was scrambling and my coach and I, my coach is Scott, Scott Cowks, And he kind of laid it out for me. And one of the reasons I hired him as a coach is because he laid out for me how I would get to the PGA Tour. He basically said, look, Eric, you drive it long and you drive it pretty darn straight. I mean, fairly straight for how far I hit it. So he said, what you have to understand is that means you're going to go for more par fives than most people. And because you hit it further, you're going to have more wedges in your hand in a par four than most people, which means you're going to be more aggressive into greens as, as than people, right? So you're going to short side yourself more often. Mm-hmm. So you have to get better from these situations because you're going to be in bunkers because you're going for par fives and two, or you're going to be in bunkers because you're going to have wedges in your hand. You're going to short side yourself because you have to get better in these situations. So I really kind of broke down instead of just practicing the same old pitches and chips and lobs and whatever, i really kind of broke down and said, okay, these are the shots I have to get better at. And I tried to spend a majority of my time when I was practicing doing those and it clearly paid off. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic, man. So, I mean, golf specific, right? I mean, you've always made a ton of birdies. Was this more about keeping the momentum going and just limiting the mistakes and just getting it up? Yeah. And down? Yeah. Honestly, like the further I got into the year, like into that cut streak, what was it? 14 or 15 in a row, the easier it got. It seemed like, I mean, it's 15 people every week are like, geez, man, you can never miss a cut, you know? And they, but it didn't matter because like, I was hitting it so good and I was in such a good place mentally that like, I just kind of kept going. And to be honest with you, qualifying for the U S open was one of the worst things that happened to me because like my whole world changed in like five minutes. Right. Like I went from the, Oh my God, you're on the PGA tour next year to you're playing in a major next week. Like it was like such a whirlwind and like such a, it was so hard to focus on golf. There was so much going on and I, I wasn't a hundred percent ready for it. Uh-huh. I didn't play that bad. I missed the cut by a shot, but I didn't feel like I played well, which was, I actually took as a positive. Right. Because had I went out and played really good and missed the cut by a shot, I'd be like, man, that was hard, you know? But when I got done, I was like, man, I hit it terrible, but I only missed the cut by a shot. And only 60, 63 of the best golfers in the world beat me. Sure. So I took that as a positive and um, it just kind of like, but to kind of go back a little bit, what was I saying? So 63 players, when you arrived there, right. And, and you didn't even play your best cause you didn't feel like you played that well. Correct. So I took a ton of, I took a ton of positive from that. Right. Like, like I said, if I would have absolutely striped it around that place and missed the cut, I'd have been like, wow, it was, that was really hard, which it was hard. No doubt. But, like, my, I feel like my game's built for stuff like that. But I was able to kind of, when I got done, when I got over missing the cut, the US Open, my shot, and being upset about it, I was able to look back and go, you know what, Eric? You actually didn't play well, and only 63 of the best golfers in the world beat you. So that shows a lot about where your game's actually at. It actually gave me a lot of confidence knowing that when I get to the PGA Tour, no golf tournament's going to be harder than the US Open. Mm-hmm. If I can play subpar, and almost make the cut in the U.S. Open, I can I can have a successful career on the PGA Tour. Knowing what you know now, because a lot of times, you know, we spoke, man, like mental toughness, the better we get, it's, it's what happens off the course, right? Like being able to handle the success, being able to handle people uh, patting you on the back, stuff like that. Knowing what you know now, what would you have done different in that, just that week span there? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's hard. Like you don't feel like, you don't feel like there's anything differently you could have done, right? You're trying to maximize, let's face it. Golf is not just about golf, right? right? There's so much other like, like what are you and I doing right now? Right? Like this is very positive for the person doing it, but it also 
in certain situations, like this is great. I got an off week. I'll talk to you as many times as you want. But in certain situations, it can be too much mm-hmm. because I'm trying to focus on playing golf tomorrow. But they want to talk today and they want to talk tomorrow. And then PGA Tour wants to do an interview and then this and that and this and that. It just can be a lot. But you don't feel like you have – you do have the options to say no. But it's such a sliding scale, really, because, like, all publicity is good publicity. Let's face it. And golf isn't always just about golf. I mean, take a look at Ricky Fowler. He's been one of the most highly paid golfers on the PGA Tour his entire career. And he's – no, I mean, he's a great golfer. I'm not saying that. He's won on the PGA Tour, but he hasn't won – as many times as the way he's been paid. Right. So like, there's so many, there's different variables, you know, social media is huge for guys. So you want to put yourself out there and you want to, you know, get, let the the fans get to know you, but also you have to be able to say no. And I think I did a good job of that in the U S open. It's just, I had never experienced anything like that before. You know, I mean, there's freaking 20,000 people out there during a Monday practice round. I mean, the second the gates open, the place is flooded. I mean, you're trying to hit a tee shot down one fairway and it's a, there's a road going through the middle of it with thousands of people crossing it and cars. And it's insane. You know, it's a humongous stage. And I was super nervous, obviously, especially early in the first round. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's just a lot going on and I feel like I handled it pretty well. And um I, there maybe could I could have done a couple things differently, really, but I don't think they were whether or not I'd been one shot better. Who knows? But um, yeah, there's just a lot going on in those situations, and the people that handle those situations the best are the ones that are the most successful. Because mm-hmm. I'm always amazed, man. Like the events that I would be at, and Tiger would be there. I don't think people had any clue because he couldn't walk down there without having somebody yell at him all the time. Yeah. I mean, all the time. And people don't understand. I mean, it, I mean, Phil's Phil's gallery would be like two levels deep. Tigers would be five, man. I mean, Oh, I know. And it was crazy for me. Yeah, no, it was crazy for me too. Like I'm out there even in practice rounds. Right. And I'm hitting on 18 T and like one green and 18 T are like right next to each other. And I'm teeing off like on Tuesday or Wednesday in my, in my practice round with like, I'm playing with Jim Furyk. It was really, really cool. Uh, but you know, we had a few people following us, nothing crazy. You know, the, the same people come the same holes, every hole. So, you know, there's hundreds of people or thousands of people on every hole, but they're not really following your group. Right. You know, and I look over teeing off on 18 and there is a wave of people. I mean, thousands of people, dude. And it's Tuesday practice round. Well, because it was like Justin Thomas and it was Jordan Spieth and it was like, you know, those guys. And I'm not kidding you. The things people were yelling, like, you know, they're standing over it. Go JT, go Jordan, whatever it is. I mean, it was insane. I can only imagine what it was like if Tiger would have been there. I I was so disappointed when Tiger said he wasn't going to be there. Yeah, yeah. You know, all your seasons here on the Corn Ferry Tour, right? Talk to us about, man, what are – what are the, some of the things that stand out to you in terms of what you learned about yourself and your game or, or just life in general? Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing for me, honestly, was like, I was a, like a 50% cuts maker my whole career. But last year and the year before I started noticing, like, I felt like I knew my game was getting better simply because I just kind of was around more often. You know, my first five or six years on the Corn Ferry Tour, my whole year was kind of based around three or four events. Like when I got in contention, if I finished top three or top two or top five, you know, that was going to keep me around. But I never really – I mean, I did scare getting the PGA Tour a couple times, but, like, it wasn't like I was within the 25 almost falling out. You know, I was always kind of just out looking in. And, like, last year specifically, I made a lot of cuts. I had some miscuts in there too, but I made a lot of cuts. I started realizing like, you know, you're pretty good on on the weekends when you kind of get yourself just hanging around. And that kind of allowed me kind of going back to like what I learned through working at Publix. I definitely was way more of a grinder after Publix trying to make cuts than I was before. And I was always a grinder. I'm not saying I wasn't. I always tried to make cuts, but like 
I would be four back of a cut with three holes to play thinking, okay, I can eagle this hole, birdie this hole, birdie this hole. I was like grinding. And I started noticing like, wow, man, like you are doing a good job. Like you are grinding your way. Like, I mean, look at two weeks ago in Boise, I shot, I was like 140th after the first round. I shot eight under the second day to make the cut by two. And I almost won the golf tournament. You know, th that stuff carried over from Publix because I started realizing like, man, if you just get to the weekend, like you play really well on Saturdays and Sundays, you just got to get yourself there. Mm -hmm. So I started grinding my, you know, whatever off trying to make these cuts. Even when I didn't really feel like I was in position to make them next thing, you know, I'm making nine cuts in a row, 10 cuts in a row, 11 cuts. In a row. And, and I'm like doing what I did in, in Abaco, you know, I shot eight under on Saturday and got myself into the final group. All of a sudden I was like going from like 40th, 30th place to Holy cow, I can win this golf tournament. Mm -hmm. You know, and that just started carrying over every week. And, like, every week I just kept making the cut. Oh, man, I finished 10th. I made the cut. I finished 14th. Made the cut. I finished third, you know. It just kind of was like – and I know you said I had seven top 10s, but I had a bunch of top 20s too. Like, I had other, you know, 11, 12, 14 place finishes, 18 place finishes, whatever it was. But I just kind of found, like, if I can get myself to the weekend, dude, you can shoot eight under and get yourself right up near the lead, you know, and give yourself a shot. And that, you know, that all has to do with public a little bit. Yeah. So, I mean, people would listen to it. I mean, just take us a little bit step further if you can, Eric, because it's not like you wouldn't be trying, but what was that little bit extra that, that, you know, just kind of solidified and, and, you know, hit it for you. And, and this, this comes down to like your, your kind of stuff here. Like I was kind of a guy that would get down on himself like a little yeah. bit woe is me, you know, like the world's against me. Everybody's yeah. making birdies. I'm making bogeys, blah, blah, blah. Felt like I was, you know, shooting a million. And then I kind of started like taking a different outlook. You know, I would get this. I probably shouldn't say this, especially with listen, but I would get more mad and pissed off than getting down on myself. Right. Right. You know what I mean? I would just be like, you know, what the heck are you out here doing? You know, like, let's go quit messing around, you know, kick something or just kind of let some steam off. But I would not get down on myself. Right. I was mad and showing it, but I wasn't like, woe is me. Like my world's ending. And that just kind of carried over. You know what I mean? It just kind of helped me into a better frame of mind. Yep. It just, it just, instead of thinking, oh man, if I hit the fairway, it's probably going to bounce left into the trees. I was, it didn't matter at that point. I was just hitting the shot. I was making birdie from anywhere. It didn't matter where I hit it. I'm making birdie. You know what I mean? Like I told, I told my caddy, I can't remember where we were, but it was a couple weeks ago. And I said, I don't care where this tee shot goes. I'm making birdie. Doesn't matter. I hit it in the trees. I'm making birdie. Like I literally was just, I didn't care where the ball was. And those are the times of frame of mind that I was getting myself into that allowed me to play way better this golf this year, yeah. way more consistent. It it uh, I gotta plug my phone in, but it allowed me to not get down on myself and and worry about things. And I was just taking a little bit of a different mindset, and it hundred percent paid off. Yeah, no, I absolutely love it, man. I mean, I say, you know, anger directed outward is is focus. Anger directed inward is depression right i mean there's a yeah, big absolutely. difference between getting mad and focused than getting down yeah. on yourself yeah it's a way better way of putting it but for sure like when you see it playing with guys at home you know you see the guy you know his head down kicking his feet around you know you know you're beating him you know but a guy can be snap hooking in the trees on every hole and like grinding it out all of a sudden he's like man this guy's four under already how did he do that he's hitting the trees on every hole you know but that's a good way of putting it you know anger directed inward and outward Going to the PGA Tour, man, you, you've seen it before. You've had a lot of friends that do it. You're, you're there. Um, but a lot of times, guys will go to the PGA Tour, and they'll make changes. Yeah. And you've spoken about it in the past. We've spoken about it in the past, about knowing what your base game is and not changing anything. Can you kind of just comment on that and how important it is to know your game and yourself? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I kind of went through it a little bit this year, and – I can see how easily that could happen in the PGA Tour. Right. So it was kind of a good learning lesson for me this year because when I got to the U.S. Open, 
I tried a seven wood. And then the next thing you know, I was trying, you know, a higher lofty driver, you know, I'm standing next to Rory and he's hitting these bombs, you know, like straight up in the air. And I'm like, man, I don't hit high enough. I need, I need to hit higher. You know, next thing you know, it starts messing with your golf game. And I started changing a couple things every, you know, every other week or something. And then next thing you know, I was like, Eric, what are you doing? Like, you just missed two cuts in a row. Like, what are you doing? So fortunately, learning that this year, I have kind of reverted back to the things that I was doing before. Same driver I was playing the first part of the year. Same length of putter. Same whatever it was, you know. And any, like you said, any of my buddies or anybody that I talk to about the PGA Tour all says the same thing. Like, I'll give you an example. Robbie Shelton. You know, Robbie Shelton was a stud coming out of Alabama. Ended up playing the PGA Tour pretty quickly. And sorry, my kids are being loud. Uh, ended up playing the PGA Tour pretty quickly and fell off of it. And I think it kind of, he fell off the PGA Tour. And I think everybody was shocked. And I said to him, I said, you know, man, what was the difference between like when you won twice on the Corn Ferry Tour and you went straight to the PGA Tour and like losing your car? He goes, man, I just got out there and I was making too many changes. He was like, I was, thought I needed to swing it better. Or I needed to chip it better or whatever it is. Because I didn't. I just needed to do what I was doing and just keep doing what I was doing. And I can thank my new swing coach for that because he was the first guy to ever tell me. And one of the reasons I started playing way better in 2020 is because I first started working with him at the end of 2019. And he said to me, he goes, Eric, you don't need your golf swing does not get need to get any better. You just need to understand your golf swing better because this is how you swing the golf club. And this is why it's good. And once he said that to me, it was like a light bulb going off, you know, and all of a sudden, I started thinking less about golf swing on the golf course. And now I, my, my mind was focused on the right things as opposed to thinking about what position my backswing needed to be in. And I can thank him a ton for that because before him, everybody was trying to make changes to my golf swing. And he just finally said, I wouldn't do anything different. Mm-hmm. And that was a huge turning point for me too. So fortunately I've already had a couple experiences with, trying to make changes. Now, granted, they've not been on the PGA Tour, and I've not been standing next to Rory watching hit at 340 in the air. But I know my golf game is good enough to compete at the PGA Tour level and stay there for a long time. If I can manage to stay in the same mind frame and stay out of my own way, I can have a long, successful career. I'm not, I don't know if I'll win ever or, 100 to- or 10 times, but like I know I can compete and stay out there year in and year out. And – to your point, if I can just kind of make no change, I mean, you're going to make little changes, obviously. Everybody needs to monitor and do stuff, but like, don't go out there and look around and see what other guys are doing. I'll be just fine. Mm-hmm. Want to listen to your favorite music, but you're sick of all the commercial interruptions and negative news today? Tune in to KukoRadio.com. Music for your mindset. We're a commercial-free online radio station playing nothing but hits. Our free iOS and Android apps are available for download at kukoradio.com. No, I really appreciate you saying that, man, because, again, like you said, it's, I mean, it's so easy to do. With um, I was wondering if you could talk about this season and when you made those consecutive cuts, what did you notice about um, your mentality when everything was like really clicking for you? Everything seems so easy. Like the first, you know, the first part of the year, I remember telling somebody like, man, I'm nervous. I don't feel like I'm playing that good. Like everybody's got these nerves early in the season, right? Like you haven't played in months in a competitive tournament and we're going to Exuma Bahamas, which is like the narrowest, windiest golf course in the world. And like, I'm thinking I'm going to hit the ball in the junk on every hole. Right. But because I was so nervous about it, like I was still super focused and like, I just kind of kept managing my game. And like, I got done with the week and I was like, Oh, I finished 23rd or 25th, whatever it was. And I was like, I thought I was going to finish a thousand this week, you know? And I think after making the first, every cut, it seemed like it was easier to make the next one. Like, it just seemed like it was a formality. It didn't matter what I shot the first day. I was going to make a cut. And 
in all honesty, though, I was hitting it so good that like I would have had to just be a mental midget or three putt half the holes to miss the cut because I was just flushing it down every fairway and giving my hitting it on the fat side, proper side of the green every time, mm -hmm. you know. And um, did I win in that stretch? No. Could I have won in that stretch? Yeah, more than once. But um, I, the mentality I had, I don't know. Like I don't feel like anything really changed. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you what it was, honestly. My whole thought process this year was this. This was it. Full commitment on every single shot and full acceptance of every single result. Mm -hmm. That was my whole, I'll call it a mantra, whatever it was. That was my whole thing this whole year. Did I do it 100% all the time? No. But if I can look back at the end of the week and say, I gave full commitment on every single shot and I accepted every single result, how bad could it really be? Mm -hmm. Right? Like, first of all, if you do that on every single shot, you're going to hit a ton of good shots and you're right. probably going to play really well. But, like, that was the whole thing for me. Like, that is how it all started. And, and, like, I had minor goals this year, too. I wanted to get myself – it was – I my goal was never to win this year. I never had a, a goal to win this year. Number one main goal was, obviously, to get your PGA Tour card. But the sub-goals to that were full focus on every single shot, full acceptance on every single shot. And, and another goal as well was try to get myself within three shots of the lead on Saturday or Sunday – 10 times this year. I don't know that I did it 10 times. I know I did it at least seven, mm -hmm. um, probably eight or nine times, maybe 10. I didn't go through it yet, but um, those were my goals. And like, those were what I was focused on. And because I was focused on those things, I wasn't thinking about making cut. Like, to be honest, the end of the year, when I started playing poorly, I started worrying about missing cuts. Mm -hmm. Beginning of the year, I wasn't even thinking about the cut line. I was just playing golf. I was just going through my processes. So, that's something to be said and something for me to learn off of too, because I'm getting ready to start a whole new chapter in my golfing career. And last thing I'm going to be thinking about is cut lines, you know, just full acceptance, you know, full committal, yep. all those things are what's, what's helped me in the mind frame I was in when I went through that stretch of, you know, five straight months of never missing a cut. I love it, man. Process business, man. Yeah. You've always said that. What you want to finish it? We're in the process business, not the, Oh God, we're, we're in the no. process business, not the outcome business. Yeah, not the results business. You got it, man. Results business. Yeah, yeah. yeah results are for other people, while, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, what advice do you have then? Um, like for juniors that are tuning in that are golfers, what advice do you have for them, man? I mean, they're they're passionate about the game. They work hard. What's the big piece of advice you give them? Yeah, so I would same advice goes for their parents and. I'm going to tell them exactly the things that I say to my own kids. I want them to hit it as far as they can hit it. Just hit it as hard as you want within, within control. Like I don't want them falling all over the place, but number two, I want them to work on their chipping and their putting a lot from the technical aspects of things. But number th the, the other big thing is don't ever, in my opinion, this can go to the parent. This can go to the kid, depending on what age we're talking about. Don't let anybody ever change what your natural golf swing is. Find a golf coach that will help you learn how to play golf from the, the positions that you swing at. You know, don't, not the other way around. Don't let somebody else tell you what your golf swing position should be. So mm -hmm. I rarely ever correct my kids on their golf swing. The only things I ever tell my kids on the golf swing is I want them to turn their shoulders away from the target toward the target, toe up, belt, belt at the target, and hold your follow through. But swing it as hard as you want doing that. I don't ever love talk that. about golf swing. There will be times and yeah. places for that. Yeah, I love it, man. Eric, what question should I be asking, man, that, that I haven't asked? Mm. Gosh, that's a tough one. No one's ever asked me that. Um. I don't know. That's a it's putting me on the spot. That's a hard one, dude. Uh, everybody, everybody pauses for this one, man. Take was there a turning point in your career? Like, what was it? Even though we kind of touched on it already, I think everybody kind of knows about the turning point in my career. But um, was there ever a moment where I knew, whammo, oh my gosh, I got it. Like, I can do this. For me, that turning point would have been 
And the, the funny part is it was way before I even got my tour car. Mm-hmm. So, and I already touched base on it, but I was standing on the back of the driving range with a buddy of mine, Steve from Florida. And he had his coach with him and his coach's name was Scott Couch. And I was in between coaches, wasn't working with anybody, kind of a lost soul out of the back of the driving range, you know, having to go to Q school in the fall. I mean, this is the fall of 2019. And his coach walks over and he's like, hey, Eric, what did so-and-so have you working on? And I told him. And he goes, yeah, well, he's an idiot. And I go, <laughs> I go, okay, wait, what? Like, no one's ever said that, right? He goes, I said, well, what would you tell me to do? He goes, I wouldn't tell you to do anything. And I go, well, what do you mean? He goes, your golf swing is good, and this is why. And I said, okay, well, what do I do now? And he goes, don't think about golf swing at all for the next month. Just go play. Just go hit it. Hit it and find it. Hit it and find it. Like, don't think about golf swing at all. And, and, and Rob, I'd be darned if I didn't shoot 65, like, every day for, like, the next three months. Like, legitimately. Like, the next month and a half, two months. I would shoot 63 one day. I would shoot 67 another, 64, 65, 66, 67, 68, 67. I mean, every single day. And I didn't have a swing thought. I was like literally just turning my shoulders back, turning them through and hitting it. And it was like I became free all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, I felt like, holy cow, I'm free. I can play golf. And from that moment on, legitimately, that was, so I went right into the 20 season where I played well in the 20 season, not getting all the, a lot of starts. Right. And would have got my tour card in 2021 had it been a one-year season and then come out right away and get my card early in the, you know, lock up my card halfway through the year out here. You know, so it was like that was my turning point, 100%. I know it was. I could bring – I can literally tell you. I can almost visualize what his face looked like when he said that to me. It was so vivid. And that is – going on three years ago but i knew right then at that moment like that was my turning point it's a great hinge moment man yeah eb thanks so much man for for joining us taking the time sharing your story you know you're gonna do great man and um yeah man all the all the best to you man thanks so much buddy thanks doc good talking to you buddy uh anytime man listening to Mental Toughness with Dr. Rob Bell. To find out more about Dr. Rob, visit his website at drrobbell.com or follow him on Twitter at Dr. Rob Bell and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform to get the next episode of Mental Toughness as soon as it's available. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.